Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 230 of the podcast for September 20th, 2015. Joining me today is Dr. Paul DeChant. He is going to be talking about reducing burnout, especially physician burnout, through lean. Now, Paul is the former CEO of Sutter Gould Medical Foundation, a 300-physician multi-specialty medical group in California's Central Valley. Before that, he had stints at organizations including Geisinger Health System and the Palo Alto Medical Foundation. He's now a consultant and executive coach for Simpler Healthcare. So if you'd like to learn more about Paul, if you'd like to see a link uh, to his blog and some recent blog posts, you can go to the page for this episode at leanblog.org slash 230. Thanks for listening. Well, Paul, thanks for joining us here on the podcast today. Glad to be here. So can you introduce yourself um, to the listeners? You know, I think it's always interesting to hear about how a physician gets involved in healthcare leadership and uh, how you got exposed to lean. Sure. Uh, so I started out uh, as a family. Actually, my first job in healthcare was as an OR orderly when I was an, under, uh, when I was an undergrad. And doing that work, bringing patients down to the OR and mopping floors, started to teach me about workflow back at that time. It also taught me I really liked surgery, but I was dedicated to uh, prevention as well as treatment of problems. So I was drawn to family medicine as a result of that. And in family medicine, I've worked 25 years clinically in a variety of settings from suburban to small town settings, in offices and urgent cares, in emergency rooms. I've worked in groups as small as two and large as a thousand physicians, um, and I've worked in a number of large systems like Geisinger and Sutter. Uh, during all that time, uh, I've found, even growing up, that I was kind of a natural leader in some ways. I ran for my sixth grade class presidency and different things like that. Um, and I also naturally became a problem solver. Uh, so I couldn't keep quiet when I saw that there were problems in the workflows in the offices I was working in. And I think that inability to keep quiet led me to getting involved in a number of committees and ultimately into management positions. So from that, uh, trying to figure out how to solve problems in committees and realizing when we would develop policies and procedures, you'd send them out. And then somehow whatever that policy or procedure was didn't seem to get implemented all that well. Um, I started getting drawn to other ways to solve problems and really got introduced to lean first through IHI, uh, AMGA, and the American Academy of Family Physicians and the work they were doing on practice redesign. Um, and as I started doing more of that, started learning more about lean. Uh, in my places, I started getting more serious about it. When I actually worked, I was very fortunate. I got to work in Breckenridge, Colorado for eight years as a small town family doctor and ER doc. And we were starting to look at putting an, an EHR into our uh, small practice there and really started to think hard about workflows as a result of that. Um, shortly after that, I moved to Geisinger where we implemented Epic about two weeks after I started the practice there. And this was a practice in central Pennsylvania as a family doctor, I had a complex chronic disease uh, patient population. So big, thick paper charts, trying to load them into Epic back in the early 2000s. And that whole process was very painful. And the process of trying to get through your day, document everything in the EHR, 
and, and then um, be ready for the next day led to us bringing work home and working from the computer at home. And a number of times I actually fell asleep on the keyboard just trying to get everything done. Um, realizing that this is not a good way, to, it's not a healthy way to live. It's not a good way to take care of patients. I've started to truly think through workflows and try to understand them better. Uh, after I left Geisinger, I was actually came back to the Palo Medical Foundation. There, I was part of a group that became much more interested in lean. We got started working with some consultants who had worked in lean in some of the Silicon Valley firms um, and started to do some building design that way as well. And then ultimately, I became the CEO at Sutter Gould Medical Foundation, which is a 300 physician group in the Central Valley of California. Two weeks after I got the job, I saw a presentation by Jenny Redmond Shell from ThetaCare about the work they'd done using Lean to redesign their offices. And I knew that was uh, the opportunity that we had to take. So I worked with my chief medical officer and chief operating officer, uh, worked with uh, ThetaCare, actually uh, engaged Simpler, which is the same consulting group that, uh, that ThetaCare had used. And we began our journey at that point. Uh, to wrap up my where I'm at in my career right now, uh, about a year ago, uh, I left Sutter Gould and actually joined Simpler, and I now work as a consultant for Simpler as an executive coach. So that's a short, <laughs> not so short story about how I got where I am. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. You know, you talk about um, you know speaking up. Um, I think you know there, there's some people who are just kind of naturally. Uh, wired for lean or continuous improvement. I'm, I'm curious, back when you were an orderly, uh, did, did you see waste and try to speak up about it or did they make it clear, hey, you're just an orderly, keep your mouth shut? Uh, you know, that's a great question. I I don't know that with, with the leadership in the OR, I tried to do much. Um, I think with each other as orderlies, we would find ways to do things more efficiently you know, how to get the sheet on the mattress on the gurney or how to, you know, which, where do you start with the mop and end with the mop in the OR when you're changing over a case? Um, I think it happened more ad hoc. I don't think that was actually in a, any kind of a talking to management position at that point. Well, it's, it's a shame, uh, you know, in general that creativity like that in, you know, among the frontline staff just doesn't get recognized or appreciated and, until you get a lean culture, I guess, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the great things about lean is the way it harnesses everybody's knowledge and you know all the great ideas that people have. In fact, at Gould, when we started, just like you know, ThetaCare called their lean process, I believe, TPS, ThetaCare uh, production system, we called ours the Gould production system, GPS, which was kind of cute because it makes people think about a GPS and how you find your way around. Um, but even as we started changing the name, when Sutter Health was developing a common management system across all of Sutter, we were going to keep GPS at least to remind us that it helped everyone become great problem solvers. Now, I'm curious to hear more, you know, because I've really personally worked more, uh, you know, in hospital settings. So within a medical group practice, what sort of problems or opportunities were, were you trying to address with Lane? Oh, yeah, great question. And there are clear differences between hospitals and uh, group practices, but and there's a lot of similarities as well. Um, for us, uh, the really, I hate to say it this way, but it's really the pain of practice is more than anything, I think, the way to describe it. Uh, there, as practices have evolved, what we're dealing with today is not what doctors signed up for 
when they went to medical school, certainly not when I did uh, back in the late 70s. Uh, things have changed so much with increased demands on productivity, uh, you know, lots of monitoring for quality, uh, getting tracked for service and patient satisfaction scores, and additional processes that have inserted themselves into the way we deliver care to patients that have hindered our ability to drive all those metrics and achieve all those goals. Lots of additional regulatory uh, things that come our way um, and a pressure to decrease the amount of expense and support uh, that goes into the uh, into uh, helping us get through our day. Uh, things have gotten complex enough, it really requires more teamwork. And we never really thought of office practice as much like teamwork in the past. We used to think of it uh, really as an individual autonomous uh, type of work that we did, but it's gotten so complex, you really need a team to do that job well. So learning how to work as a team uh, has been a challenge. Uh, the as we've matured, one of the things I, I also like about how Lean helps us address that is the IHI you know, under uh, Don Berwick's leadership, you know, many years ago created this whole concept of the triple aim. You know, how do we ensure great quality cost and uh, re reducing cost and great service for a population? And in the last year or two, we've seen a lot of talk about the triple aim plus one or the quadruple aim which adds to those three, the well-being of the caregivers, the physicians, the nurses, even the administrators. And that's the great thing about Lean is that it gives us the opportunity to, to make a difference there. Uh, I've started to study some of the work of uh, Christina Maslock. Uh, she's well-known in burnout circles. She actually created a tool that measures burnout called the Maslock uh, Burnout Inventory. And uh, her work has shown that a work process and work culture is actually a significant driver of burnout, more so than the individual person. And I was fascinated after joining Simpler last year, I got to go to the AME conference, the Association for Manufacturing Excellence, and um, I was actually humbled and a bit embarrassed. Uh, went to a, con a One of the presentations was by a group of CEOs of lean manufacturing organizations. And this was organized by Bob Chapman from Barry Waymiller, who is uh, pursuing this concept of truly human leadership. And the work of those CEOs and their dedication to making sure that the workplace was a healthy, non-toxic workplace for the workers, and how important that was, not only for the workers, but then as they left work for their families and their communities. It's it's very inspiring, and I got to thinking about how often in healthcare we end up with a fairly toxic workplace in a lot of ways. Part of it's our culture. We, particularly in medical school, there's this great intense pressure on making sure that you know you know everything, you can do everything, and when you don't, um, a lot of the pressure in academia, at least historically, has made uh, people feel uh, pretty bad about missing something, not knowing something, you know, always making sure we are absolutely on top of everything. Um, and that kind of pressure is a real challenge to deal with. And I love the fact in Lean, we're not looking at the person, we're looking at the process. And we're thinking about how we fix a process, not what's wrong with the person. Well, and, and I think also you bring up this, uh, you know, this pressure to be perfect, to never forget, to never slip up and 
you know, that that's probably an unrealistic pressure and unrealistic expectation. I think one of the lessons from Lane and the idea of not even just quote unquote respect for people, but respect for humanity is this idea that we respect the human nature and our, our, our failings and that we get fatigued and we get distracted and, and that's a big cause of, uh, of problems. So back to your point, that's why we have to fix the system instead of telling people to somehow be superhuman and, and not make mistakes. So um, that's probably, a, 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 would you say, a deeply ingrained habit, that pressure to, to try to be perfect? Oh, absolutely. You know, a lot of medical school is acculturation into, um, uh, for lack of a better term, the fraternity of physicians. And that whole culture, and it is important, you know, aside from all the workflows and organizational structures and how much those put pressure uh, and stress on physicians, when you think about even in a perfectly organized system, uh, people do things that put their patients at risk because we're trying to make them better. We administer uh, medications that can uh, oftentimes give great help, but there's a risk of harm. Uh, when, when surgery is done, you know, the, the challenge and risk of that, there's always a potential something can go wrong. So there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of pressure on physicians to make sure they do the right thing. And my goodness, we'd never want to lose that, that pressure, that idea that we want to make sure we're doing the best possible. Um, but we getting our systems in place so that it helps and facilitates the ability of the physicians to be always doing well is just key. Um, in fact, there's a, it, uh, at Duke, uh, the patient, the head of patient safety at Duke is a PhD psychologist named, uh, Brian Sexton. And, uh, his, he does a lot of work on resilience because it's, so important for the workforce uh, to be resilient in order to be able to deal with problems when they come up. And in fact, thinking about safety, uh, resilience is key there. It's actually key in terms of burnout as well. And there's a lot of connection between uh, burnout and patient safety. Yeah, and re resilience is one of the key principles in the uh, high reliability organization approach and, uh, and philosophy. So it's interesting that that keeps coming up as a, a common theme across yeah. all, all these problems. Yeah, I, actually I saw um, Brian Sexton, he presented at a GPIN meeting. GPIN is the Group Practice Improvement Network. It's an organization of about 200 or so large multi-specialty groups around the country that come together. Their leadership comes together to learn from each other uh, what everybody's doing and how they can all improve. And in his talk, he not only talked about resilience, but the importance of positivity as a key factor in that. Uh, and thinking, looking at how all these things interconnect between uh, positivity in the workplace, respect for people, uh, that truly human leadership concept. Uh, there's, you know, there's something really powerful in all of that coming together. Yeah. Now, um, in your role as CEO at Gould, I mean, how did you see your role and participation in uh, the, the lean journey? What sort of example or uh, role did you play? For me, it was really important uh, to make sure that everyone in the organization understood uh, my philosophy and, and the role that, that I played as CEO. And I would frequently share this by asking 
the staff a question, who's the most important person in the organization? And when they've got the CEO in front of them, sometimes their temptation is to say the CEO, but that rarely happened. Um, they would almost always say the right answer, which was the patient, because without a patient, we had no reason to exist. You know, there was no reason for us to come to work. Nobody could fulfill a personal or professional mission in life. And we didn't have any money coming in to pay for our salaries or facilities if we didn't have patients. So clearly the patient was the most important person. And then we talk about what's the most important thing we did. And that most important thing we did is the healing interaction that takes place between a caregiver and a patient. And in that context, actually, almost everybody who touches a patient in our organization was a caregiver, had an opportunity to have a healing interaction with a patient. Somebody on the phone just setting up an appointment could certainly help relieve some anxiety or stress or reduce some concern. People directly caring for patients obviously could reduce uh, pain and suffering and implement treatments that helped to heal people's bodies. Um, and, and even beyond that, um, there's the opportunity to educate people to be healthier. So there, there's a whole array of healing interactions that would take place thousands and thousands of times a day in our large multi-specialty group. And while the patient is the most important person in the organization, the caregivers who are providing those healing interactions needed the most support. And who's responsible to provide that support? Well, that's, that's my job as CEO. As a family doctor, I'd had tens of thousands of healing interactions with patients in my career. But once I was no longer practicing and working as a CEO, the only value I added was to make sure that the people on the front lines who were taking care of the patients had everything they needed so they could provide those healing interactions as well as possible. Once we established that as the philosophy that we were using, then it made it a lot easier for people to say, oh, okay, this might make this lean, this new lean thing, uh, that might actually make some sense. And uh, then when we actually would live that um, by just making sure that everyone in management was there to be a support, to be a coach, um, and to help people, and those people tangibly felt that happening, that's when we really started to change the culture and, and, um, and make it happen. And that philosophy of servant leadership is absolutely key, along with for CEOs recognizing that to have a great uh, lean transformation, the CEO has to be visibly leading it, advocating for it, and communicating that all the time. In fact, it's kind of a waste of the investment people make in, in, in transitioning to lean if indeed uh, the CEO doesn't make that effort because it makes it much, you just don't get the return as quickly when the CEO is not out there front and center, uh, clearly leading the way. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, unfortunately a lot of organizations, um, the CEO, the senior leaders think they can either somehow delegate or outsource that responsibility for changing the culture. And I, I really, it's just, it's hard to see, how, how folks would think that that's possible unless they, you know, I think maybe, you know, they rationalize it as, as being busy with a lot of other concerns and challenges and things that are on their plate. But I mean, would you agree with, as you're out there working with organizations, I mean, ho hopefully you see more leaders diving in and, and participating instead of just sponsoring lean. It's definitely starting to change. Um, and I think it happens for a variety of reasons. First of all, 
often, well, sometimes the the initiation the initiation of the lean transformation actually comes directly from the CEO. Quite often, it comes from somebody else in the organization who's been at a conference or been somewhere and knows someone who's been experiencing it and learns from them and thinks it's a great idea. Let me bring it to my organization and then has to work their way up the management ranks to get it approved and started. Or they'll start it in a small niche, org niche uh, component of the organization and then try to spread it. So it doesn't naturally start right at the top. And then to have, and you, CEOs are extremely busy. And there's an awful lot of things coming at them. Um, so that's another, you know, just to get the attention of the CEO, say, hey, this can really work and get them to um, buy in uh, can be a real challenge. Uh, but it, it's, it makes a huge difference. In fact, you know, we both know John Toussaint well, and as uh, one of the, uh, I think maybe, I don't know, he likes to be called the godfather of lean and healthcare, <laughs> but he, um, his philosophy now is he really is not interested and working with organizations where the CEO isn't actively uh, taking the lead uh, because it's so hard uh, to ensure uh, success and sustainment without that. Yeah, I, and I've, I've never heard that nickname attributed to John. I'm guessing he he would not <laughs> like no. being called that. <laughs> Probably but John, not. But, but John, <laughs> he, he uh, was an early adopter and, and plays a really critical role within the industry. And, you know, John was a, a physician CEO. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Obviously, a lot of hospitals have CEOs who are not physicians. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing that's, that's more likely in a physician group that the CEO would be a physician. I'm curious if that's true or if you can kind of reflect on, you know, how being a physician leader, um, how, how that played a role in what you did uh, to, to help lead the lean transformation. Yeah, it's a great question. I think there are more physician CEOs in physician groups than in hospitals. Uh, the I think the important thing isn't so much that someone's a physician, but they have empathy for the process of taking care of patients. So there are a lot of CEOs who have been nurses or uh, other caregivers uh, and I think that having been at the bedside of a patient in crisis and knowing that feeling uh, does make a difference in terms of the commitment to ensuring that uh, people have everything they need in order to provide great care uh, and a focus more on the care than on the financial performance of the organization. Um, but that's not it's not universally uh, only uh, physicians or other clinicians who do that. We've I've known some excellent CEOs who really didn't have any clinical background, but were able to lead in a lean way very effectively. So um, I want to come back a little bit to the topic of burnout you addressed earlier when you're talking about the problems that you were trying to help solve. Um, you know, if we were to try to do some root cause analysis, if you will, or I'm sure you've thought through this. What are what are some of the, the, the causes or the underlying root causes of burnout and, and how do you find lean being helpful to, to help address that? Sure. The there are a number of key root causes that have been identified in this research that's been done on burnout academically you know for decades now. Um, and just some of the key components include things like excessive workload um, an inefficient work environment, inadequate support, 
One of the items is called overbearing management. And while um, none of us like to think that happens, I think we all may have felt like it's happened to us from time to time. Um, loss of autonomy and flexibility, a big one for physicians. Uh, loss of control over the, the office practice itself. Um, and difficulty in achieving work-life balance because all these things happen. Some of the specifics I see in healthcare are this whole new thing with data entry and the burden of having to enter data and it, the way it uh, impacts and interrupts the natural workflow. This is certainly, the EHR has been a big component of this and a lot of the work that goes on in workflow redesign is focused deeply on how we, how we use the EHR more effectively and, and who's interacting with it and, and um, how all that works. Uh, and then the other thing for, um, we're starting to feel very much in healthcare is a lot of performance uh, metric analysis and reporting. And while it's important, this still uh, can feel like a real burden as we're uh, dealing with quality and safety, patient satisfaction percentile rankings, uh, productivity, um, all of those kind of things. So it's all of those together uh, are certainly uh, put a strain uh, on on the work that we do and, and a strain on individuals as they're trying to work in that environment. The thing I like about lean is that it can do so many things to improve that. So if there's an excessive workload by removing waste, taking out the work that we're doing that provides no value and just cutting down on the total burden of work as a result of that is a great, uh, great step in the right direction. Assuring that efficient work environment, again, as we take waste out, making sure that we can work effectively and efficiently, and particularly identifying ways where as uh, the different people who work in taking care of a patient, as those handoffs happen, that they hand happen more efficiently, we really have much more of a teamwork approach, uh, makes a big difference. Getting adequate support, the whole process of identifying the process itself, not the person as the problem, and ensuring that the person has the support they need um, is key. And the management recognizing that their job is to pro provide support to people on the front lines. Um, autonomy and flexibility, you know, that, that autonomy is so important to the physician. Um, when people have the opportunity to design the work that they're doing to fix the problems that they experience, that regains that sense of autonomy that we otherwise feel like we're losing. Uh, obviously, res uh, respect for people is key to supporting and achieving work-life balance. Um, and then moving from that overbearing management thought to supportive management where leaders are teachers and coaches uh, is another uh, key component that Lean brings to us to help deal with burnout. Well, I think, you know, it's, I think it's interesting you, br you bring up the point on autonomy and um, you know, how, how people, not just physicians, you know, people desire that. And you know, there's, there's a misunderstanding when people hear about Lean and they hear about the idea of standardized work, or um, you know that you know people have this often just emotional reaction to say, "Well, wait a minute, I don't want to lose my autonomy." And and when, when you use that phrase, um, you know, overbearing management, I think I you know it's understandable why people would react negatively to the idea of standardization when they think of it in the context of, "Well, I've already got an overbearing boss. This is going to make things worse." as opposed to looking at even how uh, you know Taiichi Ono and people from Toyota 
would explain it that you know standardized work is written by the people who do the work. Um, you know, I've heard Toyota people describe standardization or standard work as uh, enabling bureaucracy as opposed to being you know a limiting bureaucracy that you know we standardize the things we choose to standardize and we we standardize things because it's helpful to do so those are i think two very different ends of the of different ends of the spectrum and two different types of cultures right Right. And, uh, you know, the other thing with standard work is you're absolutely right that standard work is designed by the people who do the work. So that helps address it. I think the other thing that's really key is standard work is the best way we know how to do something at the moment. And it's constantly being revised and improved as we put it into practice, because once we design a standard, we put it into practice, we experience the unintended consequences of that standard work that we couldn't predict and we continue to PDCA that, so we continue to improve it. So the people who are performing the work continue to improve the work as well. And that makes a big difference. Once, if a standard's put in place and it's, it's expected to never change, then we've all experienced that whole issue of having unintended consequences that we're stuck with. And in Lean, we're not stuck with them. In fact, we it only works well when we encourage people to continue to improve it. Now, I'm curious your thoughts on, um, especially in, in, in working with physicians who, who are doing, uh, you know, providing patient care, um, there are often, I think, very understandable concerns. Also, when people hear the phrase standardization, they start to think of, uh, you know, limiting or inflexible. When I would argue, even as an engineer, that standardized work is not meant to be limiting. We still we have uh, judgment that we need to exercise, and you know, uh, having thoughtful standards doesn't remove thinking or, or judgment from certain situations, especially if there's kind of an unusual circumstance that comes up uh, in, in in work that's done. So I'm curious, you know, tell me, you know, maybe a story or an example about working with physicians to maybe find the right balance between standardization w without losing necessary flexibility. You know, this is really a key concept because as when we first started developing standard treatment protocols, physicians would commonly complain about being forced into cookbook medicine and having, you know, losing the ability to practice the art of medicine. Uh, and I, th I think lean actually improves our ability to practice the art of medicine because that art comes into those unusual situations as you describe, or and, and actually takes place in every single interaction between a patient and a physician. As a physician, I need to connect with that patient uh, and bring, you know, understand their own intricacies, their own psychosocial approach so that when I recommend a treatment, that patient will actually follow through because it makes sense to them, it's connected with them, and I've been able to you know, connect and, and they understand my empathy for them. The ability to do that is enhanced by standard work because standard work standardizes all the other stuff. So if, a, you know, if every time I walk in an exam room, a patient's been prepared for me uh, the same way every time, and I know exactly what I'm walking into, then I'm not busy worrying about um, trying to figure out all the other little details. And if every time I open a drawer in a room, when I'm looking for something, it's there, and I don't get distracted or have to run around and find something else, then I can focus all my energy on how am I interacting with that patient and what can I do to best connect and support that person. 
Uh, in fact, at, at Gould, we'd, we'd been um, working on both improving the EHR and in working on our lean work. Um, our, our, our model cell that we started with was our internal medicine office. And one of the internists was a wonderful gentleman, uh, Dr. Carl Hornberger. He actually started practicing a year after I was born. He was in his 80s and he was still vibrant and practicing well. Um, and we were having a conversation where he was complaining to me about the EHR and justifiably so. And we were talking through that. And then out of the blue, he says to me, you know, but this lean thing, um, I think something's working because my MA has been out for almost a year on medical leave. And it's been as though I haven't missed my own MA at all because they're, they're putting uh, all the different MAs are putting the patients in the room the same way consistently. So I, I walk in the room and, and everything's ready for me just the way it should be. Uh, and that was a spontaneous recommendation out of nowhere um, from a, somebody who had uh, no reason to have to pull any punches. Um, so that, that was one of those crystallizing moments when I knew we were actually making progress. Yeah, and you know, hopefully there's not, um, you know, on the flip side of that, thinking about the reactions of of the MAs, you know, as as people are doing work more consistently, um, I, hopefully there's not a sense of loss where someone might have thought, well, you know, to Doctor X, I was their go-to MA, I was I was the their favorite, I was the best. Um, but even I'm sure in an environment where, you know, I hear about this in other um, clinics or practices where, um, you know, people become more interchangeable. I don't think that necessarily needs to be um, a negative, right? That, that you know, people find ways to stand out and shine in, in other ways through participation and continuous improvement and, and through other, other things they have instead of feeling like, well, you know, the way I do the work is special. They, they can still be special even in the context of standardization. Would you agree or what are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's in so many ways. First of all, they get to design the work. Secondly, they really, most, most people are hungering to know exactly what they should be doing. And in, you know, in medicine, we'll spend decades getting that training and developing that. But a lot of other people are, they may have a four-year degree, they may have a two-year degree. As they come in, their orientation may be inadequate. Certainly, it'll vary depending on who they're shadowing uh, until we get to standard work. So people have a hunger to know that there is a right thing to do and that they're doing it the right way when it's presented in a supportive approach. You know, in a traditional management uh, approach where it may be much more judgmental, um, then that can feel different. But if it's presented supportively, absolutely people are looking for that. And so the other thing we found, we actually developed our workflows to make to, to maximize the efficiency of the most expensive for lack of a better term, piece of equipment in the workflow, which was the physician. Um, and so the, the less time we could have the physician doing menial tasks, the less time we had the physician with their fingers on the keyboard, the better. So we worked out a team approach to the office visit where the MA would prep the patient thoroughly, but then also uh, stay with the physician in the room and record information into the chart as the physician was uh, interviewing the patient or examining the patient. And in doing so, the MAs actually got much more involved, knew a lot more about the patients and understood more about why a certain treatment plan was chosen and could then be more effective 
in following up with the patients, both in the office and on the phone. So they found more reward in their work because that actually became, you know, much more meaningful to them. Now, um, what, thinking back to um, maybe not just the physicians, but everybody in the clinic, when, when you were at Gould, was there any way of measuring uh, burnout or engagement um, that, that you were able to, to use to try to um, kind of, you know, quantify the, the impact that, that Lean was having there? Yeah. Um, so we did a lot of, as we were on our journey and trying to have uh, metrics that we could track frequently, we did things like measuring physician engagement in huddles or working in rapid improvement events. Um, and we saw a lot of conversion of the physicians uh, who would participate in an RIE or become, you know, start to talk positively about huddles as they saw problems actually getting solved. Um, but that was a little, you know, other than the number of participants, the actual change was a little fuzzy. For us, the most important thing uh, in order to be able to see changes for physicians was the um, the, the tracking our, our uh, provider satisfaction score. Uh, the AMGA would runs a survey on a regular basis, and once a year we would run this. And uh, when we first started, our uh, provider satisfaction percentile ranking was at the 63rd percentile. The second year, not only did we start lean, but we had um, gone through some other major changes in the organization. And this was in 2010, which was about the depths of the Great Recession for us in the Central Valley. Um, and our, our satisfaction dropped to P45. It stayed there for another year, but then it began to climb back up to P62, the next year up to P82. And, and this recent um, survey that was just completed this summer, after I'd been gone for pretty much a year, and the simpler consultants had been gone for almost a year, uh, the satisfaction rose to P87. So to, to make that move um, and helped us feel, uh, helped us to know actually that we had, had made some significant uh, improvements. And, and well, with that last jump from 82 to 87, we'll make sure people don't confuse correlation with causation that they weren't happy that you left but it oh. just happened to uh, <laughs> hmm. thanks a lot Mark. I'll, I hadn't, I'll give you I hadn't credit thought, that... I hadn't thought about well. that aspect of it before but now I'm going to oh man no, I mean, it was, a whole other thing to think about no sorry <laughs> um, let me a final question as we wrap up and let, let me try to dig out of that 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 hole that I've I, I'm just kidding um, you know, is there a point you know um, individually where unfortunately somebody maybe gets too burned out and it's just, it's just too late to recover I mean I think we all know we've heard doctors who express their frustration with the current state of health care and, and they threaten to retire early or to just walk away I mean have are, are there some folks where it's just been too long and too much stress, or are, are you optimistic that we can help turn most people around? I think for most people, uh, we can really make a difference. Um, there are some people who, yeah, they've just they're they're you know they're fried, um, and it's not always people at the end of their careers. We're seeing more and more um, people even early in the careers, particularly in more stressful uh, specialties like OBGYN where um, even women OBGYNs are giving up doing deliveries after uh, five or 10 years in practice. Um, and so um, it's absolutely crucial that we create healthy workplaces. Uh, the, the worst of 
people being too far gone in burnout is the suicide rates that happen in medicine and nursing are significantly higher than in the general public. And when we realize that we're doing, uh, we're actually killing healthcare providers, um, that's, a, that's a very sobering thought. Um, suicide rates, divorce rates, substance abuse, all of these are much higher uh, in physicians as well. For me, it's as I've thought about it, and there's a lot of good treat. There's, there's a lot of um, physician wellness programs and physician burnout coaches that are uh, becoming more and more common now. Those services are absolutely vital because of this issue. Uh, for me, what's really driving me is this concept that those are great treatments for burnout, but we need preventive medicine for burnout. That's what drove me into primary care in the first place, is, is the idea of being able to, to prevent problems. And I've become more and more uh, convinced that lean is truly preventive medicine for burnout. And uh, that's a real passion driving me right now. You know, how do we create those organizations where everyone can thrive and no one is suffering uh, as a result of the way our work is designed and the expectations that we put upon them? Well, Paul, that, that's, uh, I mean, I want to thank you for sharing, you know, your, your experiences and, and your reflections and want to thank you for um, the writing that you're doing and, and the stories that you're sharing on your blog. Tell the listeners as, as we wrap up here how they can find you in, in your blog, how they can find you on Twitter, what's the best way for them to, to read more and connect with you. Yeah, great, thanks. So I do, I have a blog. Uh, it, the URL is uh, pauldechantmd.com. And my theme on my blog is returning joy to patient care through lean transformation. This whole concept of uh, creating a, a joyous workplace and great experiences. Um, that same theme follows through uh, with me on Twitter and Facebook. And my Twitter uh, handle is Paul Dechant, MD, just P-A-U-L-D-E-C-H-A-N-T-M-D. Um, and same thing on Facebook. I can be found there as well. I am on LinkedIn, uh, so that's another place uh, if people are looking for me, they can find me and connect. Well, great. And I, I'm sure people uh, will do that. And I will have uh, links uh, to, to the blog and uh, Twitter and everything on the show notes for this episode. So I'd encourage people to uh, check that out. So again, our guest today, uh, Paul Duchant, um, thank you for uh, being with us today. Thank you, Mark. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.